0: Hi, and welcome to my podcast, Life and Purpose, with me, Wanjiku Kari. In this podcast, we shall be having real conversations and stories on the journey to self-discovery, evolution, learning, and personal development. Do you ever question your existence? I do, and I'd like to invite you for us to share, learn, and to live and be the best version of ourselves. So join me. Hi, welcome to the second part of Inya's story, I know you have been holding your breath, wanting to find out what happened after Inya started experiencing this really constant headaches. So Inya, thank you so much for coming on here again to share the second part of your story. Please pick it up from where we left off last episode, where we were talking about when you began to experience this constant headache.
1: Thank you very much. Like I mentioned uh, in part one of uh, this episode, My main medical problem, sort of my main health problem had been headaches, headaches, headaches. I'd gone to hospitals because of headaches many, many times. And uh, some of the times whenever I had any headaches, I just took uh, tablets on my own, that kind of thing. And uh, in 2016, my headaches got very serious. And because of that, I decided, no, maybe there's something more than this headache. So I, I, I went to hospital. This time, I, I, I insisted that I needed a CT scan of my head and an MRI just to see what may be going on. Maybe not from the other parts of my body. This may be specific in my head. So I did that, and uh, I did an MRI. A surgeon looked at it, a neurosurgeon looked at it, he looked at it, and he told me, look, yes, there is a shed sort of in your brain, and uh, I think this is just uh, stress. And because I was going through a lot of stress during that period in my life, I believed that whatever the doctor told me was true. And, you know, because of my specific personal conditions, when he said it is stress, I believed that it's stress. So he just gave me some medication, and I went home and I forgot about it. Then that was 2016. 2017, the headaches were back, but not intense. In 2018, I had headaches. The first half of the year, when it got to June, the headaches got very intense. When it got to July, the headaches got very, very intense, August, the, the headaches got to the daily headaches, daily, 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 uh, you know, randomly daily. But then it changed, it switched at one point and now I had daily headaches and sort of 6 p.m. to 6 a.m., 6 p.m. to 6 a.m., the same pattern. And whenever I get these headaches in the evening, I don't feel like eating, I don't feel like doing anything. I just sleep, I just lie down. So when that happened and now we're going to the end of 2018, I I went to the village in December. I came back at the end of December on December thirty first. I think the first few days of uh, January twenty nineteen. I think the second or third, I went to hospital again, and they said I need a real checkup of my. My head again, my brain. So they looked at it and they told me, look, we will do an MRI of uh, your head. We'll do a CT scan, then an MRI. So they did exactly that. And the good thing is I had kept my medical records from 2016 and before that. So when I went to hospital this time around and uh, I wanted to see a neurosurgeon, so I thought it's only good that I, I carry my records from 2016. So I carried the MRIs of 2016 and then I did the new MRI. That was January 2019. After that, the the, the general's physician looked at that and he told me, no, we would like to have a neurosurgeon look at the MRI and he's coming here on Wednesday and that was a Monday. So I told him, look, the way I'm feeling, I cannot wait until Wednesday, please give me the contact of the neurosurgeon. Let me call him if he's able to see me today or tomorrow, the better. If he's not, then I'll come back on Wednesday. So he gave me the number. The hospital gave me the number. I called uh, the neurosurgeon and uh, explained to him my situation. I told him uh, I was in Nairobi West Hospital and he told me, well, I'll be there on Wednesday. Then I told him, no, I would like to see you today, if possible. So he said, no, you come. I have like two hours. I'll be here. My office is at Kenyatta Hospital. You come. So I drove to Kenyatta Hospital. I went to his office. He ushered me in and we sat down and I told him my problem. And I told him, these are the MRIs 2016, 2019. Currently, I'm having extreme headaches and they're daily. So he looked at everything. He opened up. He looked at the 2016 uh, MRI, 2019 MRI. He kept looking at them, looking at them. You know, these are a set of images. And he came to a point where he said, look, in 2016, there was something in your brain. It is here. He showed it to me, the shedding. 2019, the same thing is in your brain. It is here. So I asked him, what does this mean? He said, it's a growth. And I asked him, what is the way, out? what can sort out my medical problem? He said, the way it is. Your best option is surgery. So I told him, okay, I need a second opinion and a third opinion and maybe a fourth opinion.
0: Oh, yeah. yeah? Because, <laughs>
1: yes, because we are
0: talking about the brain. About
1: the brain. This is the main engine of a human being, you know.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You want to be sure, I triple, to be double sure, sure. Yes,
1: that, you know, what they are saying is the same thing. So when that happened, he, he told me, okay, I will send you to a neurosurgeon at Nairobi. He told somebody, know. He wrote a little note and said, I've seen this patient. He would like to talk to you about the same problem. So I drove to Nairobi Hospital. But the doctor at Kenyatta had given me a prescription. And he told me, look, you buy these tablets. This will help you in the meantime. Some 12 tablets. So I went to Nairobi Hospital. I went to to this doctor's uh, office at the doctor's plaza. Uh, And uh, when I got there, he wasn't there. And I was told he's not going to be there that day until the next day at 3 p.m. So I said, okay, I want to see him at 3 p.m. So the assistant told me there is already someone who is booked for 3 p.m. You come at 4. So I told him, no, I'll be here at 3. I just want to be early, just in case. So I thought to myself, let me buy this medication from the pharmacy in Nairobi Hospital. So I went to the pharmacy. I presented my prescription, they looked at it, and uh, they went to the back office and they came up with the drugs, 12 tablets. uh, And uh, the pharmacist went into the computer and came up with a figure, this will cost you 9,000 shillings. What? 9,000 shillings? Then I said, well, I cannot afford this medication for now. Let me see what I can do. But uh, good enough, because of technology, I took a picture of the drugs with, uh, with my phone. So now, when I was driving downtown, I said, do I go home? What do I do? Then something hit me. I had heard of uh, uh, TransChem in town and Mumbi Chemist on Accra Road, TransChemist on Moy Avenue. Somebody had told me they have the best uh, sort of uh, prices with the medication. So I ended up at TransChem. I presented uh, my prescription. They looked at it and uh, they told me, yes, we have the drugs. I asked how much. They told me 2,900 shillings. I said, what?
0: Oh, my goodness.
1: What? I, can I see the drugs? Because mm-hmm. I, I, I thought, I mean, it can't be 9,000. This is 2,900. These guys are selling me something else that looks like it. Yeah. So they brought the drugs and I looked at them. And they were exactly what I had been told is 9,000 shillings. So I told them, OK, I'm taking these drugs. All I had on me was 3,000 shillings. I paid 2,900 shillings. I bought the drugs and I took off. By that time... I went home and uh, I was feeling terrible. So I took the drugs and uh, my kids, I had already told them of uh, the way I'm, I'm feeling. Uh, they live in Nairobi. That time I was living in Thika. So I told them, look. I'm feeling terrible. I've been to the doctor. I've seen two neurosurgeons. Both of them say there's something in my in my brain. I will see a third one. And uh, I will send uh, uh, this information to a doctor who is a cousin of mine called Dr. Jakait, He's a long-term surgeon in Eldoret. So I told my boys that. The big boy, and I told the small boy, you know, the big boy is 23 right now. The small boy is 20. So I talked to them and I told them. So they said, we are sorry. You seek another opinion and uh, let's see how it goes. So the next day, I go to Nairobi, I, told, I meet the doctor, we sit down, I carried my, my uh, scans again, the MRI 2016-2019, it looks at everything, and it tells me the same thing, there is something in your brain. So I asked him, what's the remedy? He told me, looking at what it is, I think the only way out is surgery medication tablet will just uh, help you to suppress uh, the, the the headache but the real thing is surgery. So when he told me that I asked him, okay, uh, how much would this cost the surgery? He said I would have to speak to other doctors, I would have to speak to the hospital and uh, by that time the surgeon in Eldoret had told me, look, there is something in your brain. It is clear from the information you have uh, sent to me and uh, like you say, you know, the the, the, the the two doctors are saying it is surgery. I, I agree, it is surgery that would sort out your problem. But the only place you can have your head opened in this country is Aga Khan. Why? Because they have the best surgical equipment. Then he asked me, yes, they have the best surgical equipment, but who will open your brain? So that's the doctor asking me, <laughs> who will open oh, your brain? Goodness. So I told him, look, that is the thing. Now, I mean, you tell me who would open my brain. He says, let me think about it. I will get back to you. Mm-hmm. So now when he does that, I go to a third neurosurgeon. Uh, he's actually the third. I go to a fourth one. He looks at the same thing and he tells me the same story. But all these uh, neurosurgeons are telling me, look, if you do nothing about your condition currently, you can take tablets, you can take drugs. But in about three, four months' time, what will happen to you is this. You will start to have a vision problem. When you climb stairs, you won't be steady. When you walk around, you won't be steady. And that will affect your driving, if you drive. It will affect your climbing stairs, if you do. So when they told me that, I got worried. And uh, the surgeon in Nairobi had made quite a few calls, and he came up with a figure. He told me this will cost you 7.2 million Kenya shillings. That's mm-hmm. my that's my estimate. We don't know how long you'll be in hospital because of this type of surgery. You will initially be an, in ICU. We have no idea how long that be. But this is a tentative sort of figure. We don't know. So when you told me that, I said, fine let me look at it, I will be back. So when all that happened, I I informed I uh, all my relations, I talked to, to my parents, I talked to my wife, I talked to my kids, I talked to my brothers, and uh, we sat down uh, with uh, my brothers and they said, look, with this kind of money, and this is a very delicate surgery, maybe your best option is you try and see if you can go overseas. So very rapidly, I went on to the internet. I got contacts of hospitals in India, in South Africa, and in the UK. So, two, two, two hospitals in each of those countries. So, I emailed them and I explained my problem and I said what the doctors here think it is and that uh, they feel that it is surgery. But while we are going through that, and uh, one of the hospitals in India, Jupiter Hospital, my sister had been there like it's now like fifteen years ago. And uh, her problem was sorted out completely. She had uh, cancer of the breasts. And since then, she's been okay, no problem. And uh, I know two other people who, who had been to that same hospital, uh, including uh, the, the wife of Honorable Davadi. So when we talked to those people, I talked to my sister, we talked to the Honorable Davadi, and they said, no, it's a very good hospital. I think you should go there. So I zeroed in on that hospital. And uh, i had explained to them my case, and they told me, look, Yes, from what you you, you you have sent us, you have something in uh, your brain, but you'd have to come here, we would have to do our own tests to establish what it is from our side, then we can advise you. So we recommend that we do these five tests. They they said whatever the tests are, and I sent uh, the email from them to the surgeon in uh, Eldoret. He looked at it and he said yes, this will actually say exactly what the problem is. So I think you should zero in on this. you go to India, have the tests done, then let's see how it goes. So once that happened, the hospital uh, in India, I was uh, communicating uh, with the Dr. Harshad Prandre at Jupiter Hospital. That was the lead surgeon, but there were other people. The emails were copied to other doctors just to, to let them know what is happening. So when all that happened and uh, Dr. Prandre said, look, uh, you make arrangements to come to us as soon as uh, possible. Uh, The person who will be dealing with you is uh, an administrator called uh, Mr. Suchen Nagda. So Suchen emailed and said, look, uh, the doctors have looked at everything. We have looked at everything. The the five tests will cost you $6,000. Please uh, wire the money to this account and make uh, arrangements to come as soon as possible. So what did I do? I wired the $6,000 to the hospital account and uh, they wrote back, uh, uh, they wrote to the Indian High Commission and told them, look, this is a patient. We would like him to come here as soon as possible. So when it got to that point, I was now thinking I need to go with somebody. There's no way I can go for brain surgery alone. This will be a disaster. I don't know what will happen. You need somebody. So I looked around, and one of my brothers, uh, Amai, agreed that uh, he will go with me. So he took time off and uh, from his work, and uh, we got ready. We got the visas, and it reached a point now when we were ready we have gone to the airline and the airline has given us the cost estimate and uh, the airline says you need yellow fever vaccine to get to india boom so we are ready everything is ready but we need yellow fever so what do I do I go to the city uh, council clinic in Nairobi for the yellow fever and they tell me yes we have the vaccine but we don't have the booklets so uh, they tell me to seek uh, the vaccination somewhere else. So somehow I end up in Nairobi Hospital. So I go to Nairobi Hospital and uh, I tell them what what I want, and uh, they vaccinate me and uh, they charge me twelve thousand shillings. I had no good idea, you know, how much it costs. It may have been twenty years ago that I, or more that I had been vaccinated for yellow fever. So I paid twelve thousand shillings. I got the vaccination. When I told my brother I've had the vaccination and I paid twelve thousand, my brother said, "Oh no." Why did you pay 12,000 shillings? You would have gone to the airport or somewhere else. See, I oh, went. Uh, yes, I went to the city council and they couldn't, and I'm feeling terrible. So the nearest I thought was Nairobi, city. Well, He said, fine. The next day he went to Wilson Airport, 2,500, you got the same vaccination. Mm. Oh, that was terrible. I felt very bad, you know. So I said, fine, there's nothing I can do. Let's wait. We had to wait for 10 days. So we, we waited for actually 11 days. Day number 12? We took off from nairobi i i told everybody you know my family that uh, i i have to go to hospital i'm going to india and that was it so we took off 6 a.m from nairobi by kq uh, we got to bombay at 2 p.m indian time so we checked out and uh, uh, mr nagda was there waiting for us uh, we had been told he's the one waiting for us he had a board with our name so we went to him And he said, Welcome and very rapidly he drove us out of the airport and into the hospital. We got into the hospital and very rapidly, uh, they took me up and instantly I was admitted. He did all the paperwork. He put me in. I was admitted within about 15 minutes. Uh, Dr. Harshad Prandri and uh, two other doctors came to my room and my brother was there. And uh, they said, welcome. Uh, we would like to see everything that you had, you have carried. They told me to carry all the medical reports. So they said, let's go to a room. We went to a meeting room. And we sat down and we gave them all the paperwork. They looked at it, looked at it, looked at it and said, yes, there's something in your brain. But like we said, we do need to have our own tests done so that we can determine exactly what it is. And then we'll advise you the way forward. So they said uh, the next day, tomorrow, we do the test. Very early in the morning, they started the tests. It took like, you know, 10 hours. So at the end of the day, again, uh, they said, let's meet. We sat down again, and uh, they projected their tests on uh, on a screen. And uh, they went uh, down item by item, item by item. They had even sent a a little probe into my brain, and they came up with a video of what is happening inside my head. So they looked at it, and they said, look, this is what is happening. As uh, you can see, there's this growth in your brain. Uh, you can see blood is getting in. There are two vessels fading, feeding the, the growth. One vessel is uh, exiting uh, the blood. And uh, looking at what it is, uh, we recommend that uh, the, the best way out is, is surgery. We've looked at it, and we estimate that uh, the surgery will uh, take about 7 to 10 hours. And uh, depending on you, we can do it tomorrow, or we can do it the next day. So I consulted with my brother and we came up uh, with a resolution that it be done the next day. So the surgeon told me, Look, uh, you don't have to eat anything after a certain time that evening and uh, we'll start preparing to prepare tomorrow very early in the morning at six. So he said, Look, you don't have to worry. I have done this for 12 years now. I do an average of about uh, four brain surgeries every month and uh, all of them have been successful. I do not have a problem. You know, 95% uh, the surgery will be successful from my side. The 5% is uh, between you and your God. So uh, now I'm wondering, okay, they're actually going to open my, my head and, you know, I'm asking questions and they say, you don't have to worry. It will be well. It will be well. Don't worry. It will be well. And they tell my brother, if you mm-hmm. if you wish to see the procedure going on, uh, you're welcome. We'll put you in a certain room where you'll directly be seeing what is happening.
0: Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yes,
1: yes. <laughs> so okay. my brother thought, okay, this is a good idea. I, I will watch what is happening. Incidentally, that was my first time to be admitted in a hospital. I had never been admitted in a hospital. So I was worried naturally so yeah 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 so they said no problem so they said tomorrow tomorrow is a deal fine good night the next day they started preparing me very early in the morning uh, you know the assistants came into my room and they started shaving me uh, they shaved me all over clean and uh, before i knew what was happening and i think they started injecting me to to temporarily kill me whatever the medical term for that is <laughs> right in my room <laughs> <laughs> so I I have no recollection of when I was wheeled into the theatre. So the next thing is I I wake up. I'm dazed. I'm confused. I've got pain in my head, in my body, and very slowly I come into my senses, uh, but then there's a lot of bright light. I look around, there's a lot of equipment, and uh, my, my, my my hands are, uh, are strapped, my legs are strapped, but there's a lot of, you know, pipework from, from my head, from my neck, from my chest, you know wired into the machines, and there's a lot of machines making a lot of noise. And, uh, you know, I look at the screens, and I can see the graphs up and down, the green graphs. So, and I can recognize my brother. Then I'm confused. Then I wonder, I'm asking myself, what's happening to me? I'm sleeping. I'm in my bedroom, and my brother is is here watching over me. What's happening? I'm confused. Then after a bit, then I, I, I realize I'm in hospital. And even before I start to really speak, uh, the the surgeon comes in, uh, Dr. Prandre. he comes in and uh, he looks at me, he says hi to my brother, and then he says hi to me, and I say, you know, I don't know how I feel, I'm speaking very slowly, that kind of thing. Then he asks me, no problem. The surgery went very well, Uh, your recovery is fine, Uh, it is positive, so you don't have to worry, you will be well, like I told you, don't worry. So while we are talking, I ask him, what time did the the surgery end? And uh, he tells me it it ended uh, five days ago. And I get confused. I don't know what, what do you mean five days ago? you? I mean, you've been doing the surgery for five <laughs> days or something. He says, no, mm-hmm. no, it took seven hours. Actually, the surgery took uh, seven hours. You are in ICU. This is, this is the ICU. And uh, it's well, you'll be here. This is actually the sixth day. We don't know how long you'll be here, but we are monitoring your recovery. And as soon as it reaches a certain point, we'll re- remove you from here into another room. Okay, then uh, he says, that's fine. And uh, he leaves. So my brother says, yes, it's been very tough for me. I I actually haven't eaten for three days. I haven't slept for three days. I've just been going around. I've just been here. You know, I walk out and I come back. I walk out, I come back. And I don't know what was happening. Nobody really told me what was happening. They told me it is well, it is well. And uh, I actually switched off my phone because people are calling, everybody's calling. I had told them you're going in for surgery, and now they want to know what is happening, and I don't know what to tell them, so I switched off. So now at that point, he switched on his phone, and uh, instantly the phone started ringing. And, uh, you know, my, my elder son, Ian, was, was on the phone, and he asked him, hi, how are you, how is that? Even? He said, he's fine, he's okay, but he's in ICU, you cannot speak to him, and uh, I don't know how long he will be here he will be fine. The doctors say he will be fine. So somebody else calls, somebody else calls. Then he said, oh no, let me move out. I need to take a meal and I need to sleep. I'll switch off my phone again because I need to sleep. So he left and he left me there. So when all that happened, I was in ICU. The next day came and the next day came and uh, before I knew it, I was actually 10 days in ICU. Then day number 11, The doctor comes and there were two of them. They look at me and uh, they do a lot of vitals. They check out, you know, they draw my blood and all that. And uh, after some time, they come back and they say, now we can move you to the next room. That's what is called here, HDU, but they had another name for it. Mm -hmm. So they came back and uh, I was removed from uh, the ICU to the next room. They lifted me up. And, you know, the hospital is very high tech. It's not that somebody will come and actually hold you and lift you. They just press one, two buttons and uh, your bed or your mattress (laughs) lifts off the the, the main bed and they put you onto another bed. And then they took me to the next room. So when they took me there, they explained to me what is happening. Okay, a lot of the wiring that they had on my body was still, I I still went with some of it into that room. And uh, they told me, look, uh, the way it is now, you're not able to eat. Uh, it may be a few more days, uh, we are feeding you liquids, and travenas uh, and you cannot stand. you cannot do ABC. you cannot do anything. And actually now I, I try to lift my, they tell me to try and lift my, my hands. I, I, I can't lift my hands. Uh, they try to tell me to, you know, to, to rise sort of and sit. I cannot do that. I realize I can't. So I remain sleeping. And then they told me, whenever you need anything, you just press this button it doesn't matter what it is, you press a button, however you feel, uncomfortable. you press this button, somebody will come, and you explain whatever the problem is, so when that happened, I was now in that HDU, day number one, day number two, day number three, day number four, day number five, and uh, now they told me, no, you, you, you can actually, you know, uh, start to eat, so they started feeding me, and, you know, now it was soup, you know, I wasn't, taking anything very solid. And, you know, the the, the nurses would come and nurse would actually come with a tray of soup and uh, fruits and whatnot, mashed. And all I, even opening my mouth is a problem. I have lost it. I've lost my senses or something. I've been, uh, you know, they have, Rejected me into a baby so I'm starting all over again (laughs) but I don't know what happened it must
0: be very it must have been very very scary
1: it it is very very scary it is it is traumatic you know you you suddenly realize you can't lift your hands you can't even uh, you know rise you even opening your mouth is a problem so they started feeding me slowly by slowly slowly by slowly slowly by slowly And uh, the next morning, somebody actually comes um, with a trolley, with water, with toothpaste, with a brush, a toothbrush, and they they, they squeeze the, the toothpaste onto the brush, and they tell you to open your mouth. You open your mouth slowly, and they brush your mouth. I said, why? What's happening? Why can't I do this myself? I'm thinking. Oh, dear. So they do that, they do that, they do that, and... Now they tell me, if you need to go to the toilet, you just press the button. I press the button. I need to go to the toilet. And somebody comes. Two people come, and they actually lift me, and they're holding me, guiding me, and the toilet is right there. And the toilet is such that until two people, actually two people, until the, the, the scanner sees two people, you know, and it reads, I think, your biometrics and sees these are two people, that's when the door will open automatically. The door opens. And the two of you get into the toilet.
0: Mm-hmm. You
1: get into the toilet with this with this man, and you actually go and pull. And this man is standing there. Oh, dear. You're useless. You say, my God, what is happening to me? This is, <laughs> <laughs> this is impossible. <laughs> so once uh, he tells you, have you finished? You say you're finished. And he presses a button to clean you with water. chopped <laughs> <laughs> my god that That is how important people are and you know and uh, because there are two sort of rails that you can hold on and you try and lift yourself and he dresses you and he stands you up and he takes you to bed i said my god the first time that happened oh my god i i I couldn't believe it what is happening to me how come i can't do this i've been doing this for donkeys. But now I'm back to a kid. So he puts me to bed, and I was thinking, thinking, thinking. And, you know, my brother came. I told him what happened, and he said, you have no way out. You're finished. You're useless. You know, he's joking with me. (laughs) (laughs) So now that happens, that happens, that happens. And then it reaches a point now. Uh, where I could actually, they could stand me and they told me, no, you need to start uh, physiotherapy. So the first day uh, they took me in for for physiotherapy. I was still in hospital. There are three people actually guiding me. Two people, one each on side by side and one person in front. And my brother is also there. We are walking. We are walking. We are walking into the physiotherapy room. A huge room the size of a football field, like two stories high. What? This all sorts of equipment, you know, large screens. There are quite a number of people. And now they tell me, this is the physiotherapy room. Uh, we'll teach you how to walk, how to do everything. So they now start by teaching me how to walk. So they're guiding me. Three people. We walk like the length of the football field, and we come back. We walk again, and we come back. Then they stand aside. They try and leave me to stand. When they try and leave me to stand, I'm just falling like a log. I'm just, you know, if they don't touch me, I will hit the ground. They do that, and they take me back to my room. So all that is happening. And then the next day, now they say, no, you, you you, need to take a bath. I haven't taken a bath for, I don't know, how many weeks. They've just been sort of uh, lying there. So they tell me, no, now you need to take a bath. So quite a few people come, you know, like two, 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 two male assistants and two nurses. They come, they lift me up. They put me on a stretcher, sort of, and they wheel me into the bathroom, not too far from my room. So this is a special sort of bathroom. So they wheel me in and uh, they put in water into the tub and, you know, the temperature is right. And they undress me and they press a button that lifts me up and uh, dips me into the water. And they actually start to to clean me up, you know, with sponges and so. I, I, I couldn't believe it. I said, wait, what is happening? How come I can't do this? You know, now we are talking, how come I can't do this on my own? So they give me the sponge and they say, okay, do it. I can't do it. I can't, I can't. So, I mean, uh, it was very scary, you know? It was very scary. There are two ladies there, and two gentlemen. They undress me and they put me in water and they they, 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 they they give me the bath. They remove me, they dress me up and they take me back to my room. They did that every day for quite a few days. He said, my God, what is up? You know, and my brother could come with with me and they take me to the bathroom. My brother is just laughing and saying, why? What is up? So when all that happened, then it reached a day when uh, uh, the the, the person who was taking care of us, Mr. Nagda, he came and he said, look, uh, what we're going to do is uh, this. If you remain in hospital, your bill will go up. By this much, this much, this much. We recommend that uh, you take a room with your brother uh, because uh, your bill will go up, go down by this much. The hospital owns the hotel and the two facilities are back-to-back. So my brother got a room with two beds and... uh, Mm -hmm. We moved into, they moved me into the hotel and they told me now uh, all that you, you'll be doing is physiotherapy. So uh, if you need an, an assistance, you call us, we'll, we'll come and uh, move you from the hotel to the physiotherapy room. And uh, they gave us a timetable and said, look, tomorrow you have two sessions, this time and this time, the next day, this time and this time. They gave us, you know, like four or five days so that you know uh, when you, you will be going for the physiotherapy. So... Uh the first night in the hotel, I looked at it, and then I told my brother, no, I don't want to sleep on the bed. Uh, please put down uh, the, the, the mattress. I don't want to fall down and hurt my head again. <laughs> so I was scared. So he put down the mattress, and I slept. And then the physiotherapy now started, slowly by slowly. Every day, we had two sessions, two sessions, sometimes three sessions. And it reached a point now where they could actually leave me standing, and I can stand, I can't fall, and I can make the steps on my own I can walk I can walk I can walk then I realized now I can walk I can walk I can walk but I can't really walk too far not too fast and now they started you know to 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 make sure that uh, uh, when I stand I cannot fall and uh, they had a big ball you know the, like one and a half meters diameter is like a balloon and they actually stand me on the balloon and uh, they try to leave me and they tell me you know make sure that you know you you, you don't fall so I keep you know, standing on top of uh, the, the, the balloon sort of, and uh, that guides me, that makes me stable so that, you know, I can't uh, form my stability. Then the next thing is uh, there was the bike to ride, 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 ride. And then at one point, they, they actually stood me in front of a, a computer device with a large screen, which was like, three meters by three meters, the, the, the screen, and they tell me to walk. I mean, I'm walking on a pad. Although I'm walking, you know, spot walking, I could see myself, you know, on the screen. And then there's path through a forest, for example. There are logs, there are little streams, little puddles of water. And they tell me, don't step on this. You must jump over this log. You know, all that was done to me. And at some point, they put me again. in in front of a computer device and uh, they told me drive and they they switch it on and it's a highway with three, four lanes and their car's moving and they tell me, this is your car. Let's drive. Let's go. Speed up. Speed up. Overtake. Do this. Did all that. After quite some time, I think another two weeks of doing that, they told me, now you'll just be coming for physiotherapy, but if you like, you can walk around this neighborhood. So me and... uh, My brother and I, we started walking around. I still had a big bandage on my head, but they told me that's fine. You walk around so we could walk around. There was a shopping mall around and we could go to the shopping mall and we could, you know, at security, they were shocked to see me with a big bandage. What happened? Did you have a head transplant or something? I said, oh no, we were just laughing. I know I had uh, brain surgery. So they let us in and we could go to the mall, spend an hour or two, sit down in a restaurant, that kind of thing, go to the store, buy a few things and go back to our room. I stay overnight. The next day, the same thing. Now, a lot of times we could you know, we had breakfast uh, at, at the hotel, and, you know, it was such a heavy breakfast that we, we didn't even need lunch. And for dinner, we would go down to the hotel, we go to another restaurant within the same place or to the hospital uh, uh, restaurant. And the food was all chilly, so much chili. Uh, you know, so I haven't, you know, so... I, Initially, I couldn't really eat anything. You know, I tell them, you know, make something without um, making to order a dinner. uh, No chili. I actually tell them no chili. When it comes, there's so much chili. (laughs) Then I say, when I say no chili, it means no chili. Then these guys, you know, don't understand. And in the restaurant, I could see Kids eating everything. And I'm seated there eating with my brother. I'm sweating like hell. The kids are laughing. <laughs> you know, They're laughing. So one of the guys said, no, you know, I think it's the first time you're eating Indian food with so much chili. He taps me and said, no, don't worry. You'll get used to it. <laughs> A stranger. So very slowly, I got used to the chili. And now I was enjoying it. So all that happened. And at some point now, uh, the, the, the guy was seconded to us from the hospital. He tells us, no, let's go downtown too to Bombay. So we went down to Bombay and we spent like four hours, you know, just driving around, walking around, that kind of thing. And once we did that, we went all round and round and round and we came back. Then he said, no, Uh, let's go back at some point. Uh, We we don't know when you're going back home. When it is near, we'll come back and you can do some shopping, buy some Indian items for for your friends and family. So we go back to hospital. And uh, then, it, you know, every, every other day, every two days, the surgeon actually comes and he opens the bandage and he changes the bandage. He changes the bandage. Then one time he says, oh, Barnabas, you don't even know what we did to your head. So he takes his phone and he takes a picture of, of, of my head, you know, the back sort of. It was This is uh, the right, you know, from near the neck up to past the ear sort of. That's where they, they did the cut. So he gives me the picture and I say, oh my God, what did you do to my head? There are like maybe 30 sort of, uh, you know, metal, uh, like these ones you use in the office, the staples, but these ones are big. So he has mm-hmm. stapled my head. So he tells me, don't worry, it is fine. So I ask him, now do I have to go back to surgery for these staples to be removed or something? He says, no, 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 it will be fine you'll just sit down and I'll just remove them one by one when, it, when we get there. So I say, fine. So all that goes on, goes on, goes on. And uh, then it reaches a point now where they, they look at me and uh, they say, tomorrow, you guys should get ready to 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 go back home in, in a couple of days and uh, we'll do some tests. Uh, the recovery is very well. We'll do some tests and then we'll advise you. So they did tests. They took their own MRI. They did all sorts of tests. And they said, look, it is very well. You guys can uh, can go home the next few days. You decide when you want to go. So we very rapidly call uh, the airline and we tell them, look, we have a return ticket that was open. Now we would like to go to back to Nairobi on this date. So it is fixed. They email back and they say, that's fine. You have a ticket. You're going back on this date like you want. So the day before that, we, uh, we sit down with the sergeant. Uh, he looks at everything again and he says, it is well. Uh, you go back home, he writes his notes and he says, look, three months after you get home, I would like you to do these tests. One, two, three, four. And you take an MRI and uh, you send this uh, back to us. So the next day, we go back to Bombay, the the, the city centre with uh, uh, Mr. Nagda, and we do quite a bit of shopping here and there. And we come back ready, we pack. The next morning again, the sergeant said that we meet him uh, just before he He goes into surgery. So we 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 honor the appointment. We meet him uh, briefly and uh, we tell him, bye-bye. He says, no, you do the test and uh, let's keep in touch. Uh, All the drugs that uh, you've been taking here, dump them. Leave them in the hospital dustbin. Dump them. These 12 tablets, these are the tablets. This is the emergency drug that you're going home with. If you feel like A, B, C, D, he, he explained to me, if I feel like this and like that, Take a tablet and give me a call. Take a tablet and give me a call. That's what he said. So the next day, uh, we, we, we we are driven downtown to the airport uh, and... Uh, we get onto the plane and uh, we are back uh, to Nairobi. What I would really like to say about uh, my experience uh, uh, in India and uh, while I was sick, that kind of thing, I, I realized very, very openly, and, and, and it came to me naked, even though I have always known this, that uh, it, it's critical, your relationship with people. It doesn't matter whether it's a stranger, whether people you knew a long time ago, you never really burn your bridges. You, you, you have to be a good person to your friends, to your family, to that kind of... Very few people, you know, have friends, you know, from their childhood, for example. Very few people have friends they have known. If you're in your 30s and you are, say, in your 40s, you're in your 50s, very few people have friends that they have known for 30 years, for 20 years, that kind of thing. I have quite a few people that I have known since I was born, that kind of thing. So when all this was happening to me and I was in India I realized how important it is that uh, people are important you must realize that when I was being fed when I was my teeth were being brushed when they were giving me a bath all that realization came to me you know like I woke up I was a baby that kind of thing it was it was a, an eye opening thing and uh, like I told you it was my real first time to be hospitalized. I I had never really slept in a hospital since I was born. So it was a very scary thing, but I learned a lot of things and uh, it it actually changed my perspective on life, on people, on living. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it became very clear to me that, you know, you you have to be a good person. You have to live your life openly and uh, try your best to be good to people, maintain your relationships, and uh, you, you really don't have to... To, to, to burn your bridges, like I said, it, it doesn't matter really what people do to you. They are always bad people. They are always good people. If you meet bad people, you just step aside and uh, you move on with your life. But if they bump into you at some point, you say hi to them and... Uh, Half the time, the same people realize, "Look, I was on the wrong. I was on the wrong." And some of them apologize even after many, many years. That's what happens uh, with life. That is my experience uh, with my sickness. And since I came back uh, in in twenty nineteen, uh, after two two months in 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 India, uh, my headaches have been there sometimes. But like the surgeon told me, everybody has headaches sometimes. I don't know who doesn't have headaches. <laughs> I don't know who but yeah. yeah because of you know the environment uh, because of uh, your relationship with people you sometimes have headaches. so the, the the doctor told me look you will have headache at some point even I do have headaches sometimes if you do have a headache just take some some paracetamol take something take headache take panadol and uh, you'll be fine I've not really had any headache as serious as before since then.
0: The surgery. Did you ever have to use the emergency pills that he gave you? Not
1: at all. In fact, I've lost the emergency pills. I don't know where they are now. (laughs) I've never had to use uh, the emergency pills at all. And uh, I'm in touch with the doctor and... I've actually referred uh, like two people to this hospital. And I mean, uh, uh, my brothers know what happened to me. And sometimes they talk to people like one of my brothers called and said, oh my, I have a friend who has almost a similar problem to you as is always, always having headaches, 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 headaches for he doesn't know how long. They've done scans. Looks like there's something in 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 the brain. So what why do I do? I, I call uh, the surgeon in India, or uh, I, I send him a message and I say, "Look, I have a friend who has a problem like A, B, C, D, X, Y, Z. Then he said, "Oh no, let let them get in touch uh, with us." I've done that too. To wow! Yeah.
0: Wow, yeah. Barnabas, your story is very touching (laughs) especially the part where you are really helpless and you know going through the whole illness and recovery process and how humbling some of those moments were to you and I'm sure you did a lot of reflection during those days when you really couldn't do the things that you used to do before and I know that somebody listening to this today will draw lessons like what you have uh, Said time and time again the power of relationships yes. and the fact that people are really, really important, and you don't have to make enemies. You can move away from people who are not good to yes. you, but don't keep grudges. Forgive, don't keep,
1: badges. yeah. I, I mean, uh, people say, for example, that you know you need money, and once you have money, then you can try and push around people. You can't, even if you have a million mm. dollars. It is useless unless there are people around you. You will need a driver. You will need a cleaner. You will need a chef. Now you need a lot of things. Where do those things come from? People. So your relationship yeah. with those people is, is very, very important. Even even if you, you you need money, for example, where is money? People are the ones who have money. Money is in people's pockets. So if you want to get the money, you had better be a good person. That's the True. way it is. Yeah.
0: Wow. And we thank God that you're healed and uh, that you're doing well. And thank you so much for gracing this podcast. I know that uh, your story has touched somebody. Somebody has picked a lesson or two from it. Thank you so much. I will put your details on the show notes of the episode. I know you also do a bit of writing, which people would love to read. And um, yeah, I'll share that as well. So thank thank you. you. Thank you so much, Barnabas.
1: Thank you, and uh, all the best. Okay. Thanks.